So it's good to be back, and uh, I hope that we can uh, delve quickly into the subject that we have here uh, with us this afternoon. And um, the subject is God's heart for the nations. And the significance of this is that once you understand God's heart, God's heartbeat, uh, that it is around the nations, the desire is that perhaps going forward, we should be able to put a little more focus on the nations, both abroad and here in Omaha. Uh, I think I did mention somewhere that nations are actually coming here, uh, being on our flight from Dubai uh, to Chicago, we had, I think, 95% of that flight, people coming from India, and it's, you're just amazed at what population is coming this direction. And so God is bringing uh, nations to yourselves, and, and, and it's important that you just have his heartbeat. So um, quickly, let's move on to the third page, and I would like to walk us through uh, this material, because that's the presentation for um, this afternoon. This topic is mostly discussed in mission classes. You, you cannot do missions without you know, thinking about nations because missions is always outward looking. Although in Israel it was sort of inward looking, but as you look at it in the current context, it's always outward looking. And I want to make an assumption quickly that we are assuming then, if we say God's heart is for the nations, we are assuming uh, that, you know, missions begins with God. I think there are so many concepts about missions, but my conviction is that missions is right in the heart of God. And missions has been in God's heart from eternity past. And, uh, as, as John says, as we come to Revelation, you will see God gathering again all the redeemed from all peoples of the earth. Why? Because his mission is always going out and it's been in his heart and counsel for a long time. So let's agree also that mission focuses on nations. God's heart is more for the nations. Now, what is the definition of the word nations. In, in Hebrew, it's the word goi, and uh, in Greek, uh, there's a masculine, which is ethnos, and uh, the feminine form, which is ethne, but both of them, uh, in English, we translate them as what? Ethnicity. So people, groups of a particular language, a particular culture, and, and God's heart is not just for nations, in the context of geographical boundaries. But God's heart actually is that from every ethnic grouping on the earth, he may redeem for himself a people. And that's big. He desires to redeem a people. He desires to show his love to every people group and redeem for himself those that he would like to see in heaven. And I want to submit to you that heaven will be such a colorful place, such a beautiful place to be, because every language will be there, every tribe will be there, 
and, and, and just people from even every geographical boundary will be there. So as we use the term nation, uh, foundationally we'll have in mind people groups, but we'll also use this word to also consider the populations of people as God has gathered them in nations as they appear today. And I want to look at this topic from four fronts. The first one, I want us to run through scripture quickly. What does the Bible say about God's heart and the nations? And secondly, I'll give us a glimpse of how that uh, comes to the fore in history. And then I'll bring us now to the current situations. What are some of the trends that you need to consider as we look at missions? And eventually, we'll, of course, uh, just look at what response must we give to this knowledge that comes to us, that God's heart is oriented toward the nations. So we'll go to the next page and, and look at the biblical evidence. You'll find this truth that God's heart is oriented towards the nation, both in the Old Testament and actually in the New Testament as well. The foundational truth in the Old Testament is that all humanity came from God. God created human beings. And he created us for a purpose. But over time, what you see is that humanity was ordained to do what? To be fruitful and to multiply. And as humanity multiplied, so did diversity. I think it's not long in the scriptures before you get to Genesis 5 and you see that the sheds among the people begin to differ. Adam, by the rendering of the Hebrew word, actually means a man who is actually of a particular color, the color of the soil. And if you look at the ground, it will tell you <laughs> what color that is. And yet you begin to see uh, a transformation there of color and even eventually of languages. I love what Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 says, uh, because that sort of uh, puts together why God created nations. And I would like for us to just check that passage of scripture quickly. Deuteronomy just uh, 32 and verse 38. But for the purpose of context, I'll begin reading from verse 7. And the word of the Lord says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years long past. Ask your father, and he will tell you, your elders, and they will teach you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance. From hindsight, as Moses writes, he is saying nations are not a mistake. Nations are not a result of sin. Nations were God's plan. The Most High gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race. He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the people of Israel. 
So nations proceed from God. They are in God's mind, God's heart. They are God's plan from everlasting even to everlasting. But of course, as we begin to study further the Old Testament, what you find is that there is this distortion in terms of how nations develop because of the fall and then eventually the flood. There are distortions. But so we come to then Genesis chapter 12. That passage is key. Because what you see in the Old Testament and the rest of Scripture from Genesis 12 is that God begins to build a parallel. So on one side, he has the nations. His heart is on the nations. And yet he raises a family and eventually a nation that he will use as mediator to pursue the nations. So throughout the Old Testament, you will see these two emerging. The nations at the center of God's mission and the nation, Israel in this case, as God's friend sent to the nations. That is the picture. If you come to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter says what? In 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God. So you see, again, the nation and the nations. And that theme runs all across the Bible. But how does God go about this? Beginning with Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, he comes to a man. So he elects him. He chooses him and sets him apart, then God makes a covenant with this man and he says, you know what? I have some business to do on the earth. I want to bless the nations. But I can only bless them through someone I have blessed and have given a great name. Someone through whose experience with me, my glory is revealed. That is the one I will use to share my message to the rest. And that's what you see in the calling of Abraham. God is always in the business of electing and covenanting with and then sending a nation to the nations. Just like God, as, as you gather as a local church, you are a people of God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and God sends you to reach the nations. Might I submit to you then that every local church is a nation under God on mission with God to the nations. And if any church on the face of the earth fails to live up to that calling, there is an imbalance in their experiencing the fullness of God within that congregation and also in the world. In Exodus chapter 4, 22 to 23, and, and, and on Mount Sinai chapter 19, verse 3 to 6, again, we find God having redeemed Israel from Egypt. And he says, out of Egypt I called forth my son. We see that after the redemption of Israel, God makes a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. 
And I want us to read uh, again uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 to 6. And it's all right if you find it earlier than I, you could just raise your hand and read that for us. The book of Exodus is big business in the Bible because God is always providing exoduses to people, groups. So it's big business. But chapter 19, verse 3 to 6. Sure. You could read it, yeah? You see what God says there? So he has provided what? Redemption. They are now free. Now we are in a country of liberty, isn't it? I just love the, the freedom message that comes from the United States of America. We are in a country of liberty. And, and, and God provided liberty for, for a people group, the Israelites. And, and they are now in the wilderness on the journey to the promised land. And God makes a covenant, but then he says to them, if you will keep my covenant, I will make you my kingdom, a kingdom of priests and my holy nation. And the word holiness, by the way, does not simply mean sinlessness. Holiness means to be set apart for God. And he says, I will make you a people set apart for myself. Why? That this holy nation, this set apart nation, can then be a priestly nation. And what do priests do? What do the priests do? Let's, let's talk to each other now. I'm not preaching now. <laughs> you can hold me accountable now. Priests stand in between God and his people. They mediate. They take off what the concerns of God's people are and bring them to God. And they hear from God and deliver his message to his people. And so when God is saying, I'm making you a kingdom of priests, he's saying what? You are my connection to all other nations. And that's big. And many times we don't see ourselves existing as a congregation that we are such a big connection to the rest of the world. And so here's God's heart for Israel. And for the nations, Israel, I'm giving you this opportunity. But my goal are the nations. And we need to think in that context. Now, did Israel function as a holy nation? Number two, did they function as a royal priesthood? 
Really, when you look at the Old Testament, they became inward focused. And in missions, we, we call that centripetal. You know, you, you know about the centripetal and centrifugal forces. All right? So one is winding out, but they were winding in. Whatever they did was inward focused. And part of the reason was, you know, Solomon is led by God eventually to build the temple in Jerusalem. And it became the center of worship because the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was in the temple. And so everyone came, and on the Day of Atonement, every Jew from all over the world would assemble in Jerusalem. Why? To come and worship. But that's also the day that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and intercede for God's people. So that became a culture among the Jews, always coming back to Jerusalem. But they forgot that they had a mission in the world. And so they struggled with that, that God had put his presence in Jerusalem, and yet they were to be on mission in the rest of the world. They struggled with that, just like many of us struggle. We, many churches believe God is at work, he's on mission where? In the church. And it's easy to invite people where? To church. Come to my church. Come and worship with us, and it's good. But we struggle to go out. Why? Because we always believe God is only on mission in the church. I think if there is a greater expression of that culture that had been built among the Jews, Consider the life of Jonah. Here is a guy whom God says, I want you to go and proclaim my name to the Assyrians. And the guy says, over my dead body. <laughs> and I sympathize with him because the Assyrians were actually a superpower that God was shaping. And sooner than later, they would actually come and, and take you know, the 10 tribes of the north who had gone into idolatry. And Jonah, maybe by foresight, knows that this will eventually happen. And he says, God, I can never do such a thing as to go and preach the gospel to our enemies. I cannot. And you know the story of the big fish? Did Jonah go? Yes. Did he preach? Yes, and I, I said to the church one Sunday, I said, this is perhaps one of the few places in the Bible where even Keto fasted. There was such a move of the Spirit. God blessed such a mission by a rebel prophet, but because he was among the nations. Well, you know the end of the story. He comes back. And he says, I knew, I know that you are merciful, God. I know that the gospel, when it goes out to the nations, they will repent and they will come before you and you show them mercy. This is why I didn't want to come. And he goes in scorching sunlight. He sits under this vine and the Lord dries it. He begins to complain again. 
Jonah was such a guy. <laughs> this is why I, you know, in, in my country, Jonathan so is cutting short and they will call you Jonah. And, and I used to refuse because uh, <laughs> I, I didn't want to become a rebel. So Israel, <laughs> Israel is sent to the nations, but because of pride, disobedience, and also so much inward lookingness, they, they could not pursue God's agenda, just like many of our churches today. John Piper, one of um, the men I give great respect in missiology and just the Christian faith, uh, has written a very good book. It will be a good book for you to have. Uh, Let the nations be glad. And he talks about how God's greatest pleasure is that he receives glory from people from all nations. But he tries also to, to, to help us see that despite Israel's inward focus, there is still evidence that God still had his mind on the nations. We'll pick a few uh, passages of scripture to read. Somebody find Psalm 96, verse 3 to 4. Psalm 96, verse 3 to 4. Good. He is a psalmist. The Lord is worthy of what? All praise. He is to be feared by all peoples. And so he says, if, he's, if our God is so worthy, we must declare him to who? The nations. Now, one of the highlights of our visit here has been the worship. And... Uh, I can't quite figure out the words, but I've been humming. Let it fall away, let it fall away. And, and last year it was Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, dun, 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 that saved a wretch like me. I went singing that song all the way up to Zambia. <laughs> That's great. Now, if, if worship is so great at Brookside, and you come in the presence of God and you enjoy God, how about bringing someone else along to test the glory of this God we enjoy at Brookside? That's big. That's what God wants. Now, of course, we all, and I want to say this, it's true in my country that it's hard for us to break barriers, to build bridges, because in my country, we have actually 72 tribes, different ethnic groupings, but now we have about 75 because we have Indians in our country. Uh, They are coming in large numbers. We have Chinese, 
They are coming. In fact, we, the Lord has just led a couple, a Chinese couple, into our church. And so they are coming in big numbers. We, we have a gentleman from the Philippines is there. Uh, our church is a holy boiling pot. <laughs> we are having all nations and, 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 and tribes coming to the glory of God. Wouldn't it be good to just do much more and bring even someone from that race, from that tribe, from that language, that you think these are not good-mannered people? Because when they come to know God and worship the true God, even their manners will submit to the authority of our God. And that's God's heart. So the psalmist tells us God's name must be proclaimed. God's glory must be proclaimed among the nations. Isaiah 52 verse 12, quickly. I want you to see the things we must be doing for the nations in the Old Testament. So this verse we read says we must proclaim God's glory to the nations. Isaiah 52 verse 12, what does it say? Did anybody raise their hand? You, you could read if you're there. Okay, so the Lord will do what? Will go before you. To do what? As you go out to the nations, he will go before you. Why? Because he promises the nations the privilege to worship him. Quickly, in Psalm 72, we will not read that. You can read about that in your own time. We also see the psalmist raising a prayer for the salvation of the nations. And then Psalm 18, verse 49, 87, verse 9, and 108, verse 3, again you see the psalmist there desiring to make God's name be recognized among the nations. Four things that are very clear in the Old Testament. God desired, even in those times, among the Israelites, that his glory is proclaimed to the nations. Secondly, that the nations have the privilege to come to know the God of Israel. We, we talked about that. I think that's David's passion as well, that the nations would know that there is a God in Israel. And then God wants us to pray for the nations. And he would like for us to desire to make his name recognized among the nations. I remember one time, I was a young man, 1995, my pastor came to me and said, I want you to be part of a mission trip. So I've been doing missions trip, uh, mission trips rather from 1995. And we went to the western side of Zambia among the Lozi people. Now, for a long time, the Lozis actually were early in their settling in the country we call Zambia. But for a long time, they have sort of been shut out. Why? Because they function like a kingdom, and the rest of us want to function like a republic, and they are always you know, pushed on the side. And because of that, much of the gospel had not gone there. The other challenge they had is that when there was war in Angola, the guerrilla fighters sometimes would cross into the western province 
and many of them planted landmines and stuff like that. So for a long time, the gospel of Christ in our country had not gone to the western side. Now, 1995, things were getting better, and the Lord had opened up the area, and we went there. And I remember us going to a village called Sikuyu. It's in a floodplain, but it was dry then. And all we knew how to get there, someone just said, move this direction and don't ever turn. <laughs> and you had to have four-wheel drive, four drive vehicles, and, and we just drove over the plains. Towards sunset, we found these people and we showed the Jesus fume. And after showing the Jesus fume, I shared uh, a brief message, a very young man, not knowing so much what to say. And there were 72 people present at that crusade. And all of them stepped up to accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So after they were gone and we prayed for them, we invited them back for the church service, my pastor said, it's not possible that all of them could step out. So Sunday morning they came, the same number of people came. And he preached the gospel and the same number of people responded again. And we were so much in shock. But when they had accepted Christ, we said, well, we'll baptize you. And, and we went to this place to baptize them. And water was this dark. And <laughs> we did the baptism. And people were coming out. But then there was just this outburst of worship among those people in their language. And we all just burst into tears that these people living in a corner of our country had now encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had given their lives to Christ. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God filled them with worship. And it was such a glorious picture. And, and I loved to go back there. I think one of the mission trips, Marjorie, you were with us? Miriam? Yeah. I took them along to go and see where I liked to go. But the, the idea I'm bringing is that try it and you'll see. It is such a glorious picture when people will worship in their tongue, but you know they are worshiping your God. One of the things we do sometimes in our church, if we are singing a common song, is to have everyone sing it in their mother tongue. So the Bembas will be singing Amazing Grace in their language, the Nyanjas, the Lozis, the Tongas, and the English, and so on. And you are all singing the same song, but in different languages. It's just so glorious. And this was God's idea, even in the Old Testament. Fast forward. So the Israelites are adamant. They do not want the nations to have what they have. So God allowed the Assyrians to come and they took some of the 10 tribes of the north in Israel and there was that mixing and what you have are the Samaritans really. But even among those that were taken captive, the Jews began to spread into other cultures. And here's what I get from the Old Testament. If God's people don't go out pursuing other nations for the glory of God, God will capture them until they mingle with other nations. Now, I'm going to say something sensitive. Look at what is happening 
in Europe. Europe has been very close to the Arabic countries. But because of the Crusades and all that that happened in the past, it's been sort of hard to go in for a long time in those nations. But what is happening, you know about the Arab Spring, don't you? And the Arabs have been moving into Europe. And there are many right now refugees in Turkey and Greece and other places. And who knows what will happen going forward. Is Europe going to be turned into an Islamic community? Or Islam is going to bow to God in Europe? That's a good contest right there. And so we need to be praying for them. When a nation is not going after the nations to take the gospel, God will either hold them captive or bring the nations to them. So for the Jews, the Assyrians took some of them, but a good picture that I want you to see is what happens to those that went into Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar comes around 586 BC, destroys the temple and takes some of them into Babylon. And so they begin to live there. But you see, again, some of the Jews in Babylon beginning to proclaim Yahweh in Babylon. One of the remarkable personalities that you find is who? Daniel. We talk about Daniel in the lion's den. Glorifying God among the nations. Why? Because we cannot sit on the glory of God. God's glory will still fill the earth. That's what he says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. His glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Daniel stood his ground and God was glorified. You know the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego again, how they were able to stand their ground in the furnace. And the king declared, from now on, Daniel's God is the one to worship, right? The God of these guys is the true God. If he can keep them in the fire and no manner of heat can consume them, he must be the real God. And so you begin to see that mix. God took responsibility when Israel was disobedient to ensure that nations still encountered a holy God. One of the other things that, will ha that happened in, 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 in Hebrew history, around 250 BC, there has been a lot of migration now into Alexandria, Egypt, North Africa, and some of the elders, the Jewish elders, in, in the synagogues there sat down and translated the Hebrew Old Testament into what? Greek. What we call the Septuagint, they translated that. Or oh, now God's glory was going to be known among who? Greek-speaking peoples. You know, by about 330 BC, the Greeks had begun to dominate world culture. So 250, the Bible is translated. The Old Testament is translated into Greek. And that opened the door again for many peoples of the world then to encounter the testimony of Yahweh. So did the Israelites succeed in keeping God from blessing the nations? No. 
And then I talked about the temple, which partly made the Israelites so inward focused. And yet you see, during that intertestamental period, they innovate in the diaspora what is called the synagogue. Now, what is different about the synagogue from the temple is that a Gentile was allowed to come in and sit down and hear the word read and the word taught. And this was the beginning of a process we call proselytization. It's a very long word, but basically the conversion of the nations even to Judaism began around that time. What I want to say is that in the Old Testament, what you see is that God still took responsibility and went after the nations, even when his own people said no. We may say no to the nations. God will take responsibility. I love what Jesus says in, 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 in the New Testament when uh, he's going into Jerusalem to be crucified and he's on this donkey and people are saying what? Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Jews come to him, Master, will you tell your disciples and your people not to declare what they are saying to you? And Jesus says to them, well, if I stop them, the stones will begin to declare my glory. He's unstoppable. And so the easiest thing Christians in our time can do is to yield to this message of going after the nations because that is where God's heart is. If I were in Zambia, I would get an amen. <laughs> it's okay to say amen if you wish to. So the Bible tells us then, in the fullness of time, at the proper time, when the Romans were now governing and they had paved a way for many routes across Europe, the Romans were now the superpowers from the Babylonians, the Persians, we come to the Greeks, now the Romans. They had the good law. And, and, and the environment is ripe. The Greeks have influenced the community with their culture and language. And so the ingredients are ripe for the gospel to reach the nations. And the Bible says just at the proper time. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes into the world. And I love what John says, that he came to his own, who were his own, the Jews, but his own did not receive him. But to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, what did he do? He gave them the right to become children of God. So what is that saying? While the Jews were rejecting him, the Gentiles were coming in. And that was the beginning of open doors, real open doors for all of us to encounter the glory of God. And that's why we are here. Because God will always take responsibility 
to spread his glory among the nations. Let me run to page six, the New Testament. How do we see this reality that God's heart is for the nations? We see that reality in many things. Let me talk about six things quickly. Number one, in the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world itself in the form of man is the greatest message God could ever preach to us. That his heart is for the nations. But it's also the greatest challenge that we all have. If he would leave his majesty, his nature as God, and clothe himself in our form, would it be difficult for us to leave our comfort zone and for a moment clothe ourselves in another culture that it may be proclaimed? Look at how we struggle. One of the things we struggled with coming this side of the world is, oh, we are going to live in Shima. Now, Shima is our staple food. We are going to leave it. And everyone was calling me the night we were flying, the day we were flying. Please make sure you have your last in Shima. Because you're going to stay a long time from that kind of food. And I think they made me miss home before leaving home. <laughs> it, it's hard to leave your comfort zone to go into a new territory. We are enjoying the tacos and, and, and all very good stuff you have. And I'm praying that the Lord will give us a supernatural uh, diet regulating <laughs> capacity <laughs> so that we don't return home, you know, so well formed. <laughs> but the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world is the greatest challenge and indictment on all of us. We cannot overemphasize our comfort at the expense of nations that need the Lord. Because he came down, we must keep going down until everyone is caught up, up there with him. Amen. <laughs> That's why it's okay, Anna, to get on that plane and, and, and bear all those turbulences and to arrive and the first thing they give you at the Hope Center is a caterpillar. It's okay you are actually imitating Christ. That's the biggest message there. But secondly, when you look at the gospel that Jesus preaches, he calls it what? The message or the gospel of the kingdom. The message of repentance. And he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. That was an open door message. Whosoever will may come. Jesus went about preaching. Yes, he preached to his own people first. He preached to the Jews. All his disciples were Jews. And in a patriarchal society, they were all men. But he didn't say women cannot be saved. He didn't say women cannot go on missions. Right? He had to accept this culture, identify with the Jewish culture, but then from there launch out 
into all cultures. And that's the message that he preached. And that's the message he wants us to preach. But thirdly, the ministry of Christ is another example that God's heart goes out for the nations. John chapter 4. He sends his disciples away to get some food supplies. He goes to Jacob's well in Samaria. And there he finds a woman who is drawing water at an awkward time. Why? She can't draw water at a normal time because everyone knows she's a prostitute. And he goes to talk to her. Not only because she was a sinner, a prostitute, so he crosses that bridge, but he's also crossing a racial bridge. She was a Samaritan, and he talks about the water of life. And eventually the Bible says, the entire Samaria accepted the message. Now the Samaritans were hated by the Jews because they were sort of like half-caste between the Jews and the Assyrians. And the Jews, the, the proper Jews, the Judeans now, didn't want to accept them. But Jesus demonstrates to them, not only have I come to make bridges across gender, across age, but also across race. I want everyone in. People of God, Jesus wants everyone in to his kingdom. And you and I are the people that he, he uses. Now, sometimes I get tempted, Brother Tim, to start preaching again. But let's go back to the text. Number four, and, and now I want to give some space for, for questions. I was trying to see where time is. About 10 or 15 minutes. Or 15 minutes. Oh, wonderful. One of the big things that Jesus says, in fact, if you read all the Gospels, one of the things that you see is the Great Commission. Matthew spells it quite well. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. And in Greek, that phrase is pantata ethne, meaning peoples of every ethnicity. Go and find them. When you find them, make them my disciples. Cause them to become my followers. And when you cause them to do that, teach them to observe everything I have taught you. Who is he telling the Jews? I have taught you, but you are going to teach all other nations. And it is to that assignment that he gives a promise. I will be with you to the very end of the age. Many times don't we abuse that last verse? I will be with you to the end of the age. We claim that even when we are going through maybe some disciplinary issue at the office, and we begin to pray, Father, you said you'll be with me to the very end of the age. Yes, he did. But in what context? As you go to the nations, he will be with you. If there is any supernatural cover for God's people, it is when they step out on the mission field. I have found out that certain things 
that do not happen in our church happen big time when we go out on a mission trip. Uh, this young lady, oh, mom, sorry, Marjorie, my sister, my friend, <laughs> we, we have shared a great ministry with Marjorie and my family uh, respect her so much and she's a blessing to our family. So she led us last year in November to the furthest part of Zambia on the border with Congo to share the gospel. And there, as we proclaimed the gospel, one guy came and he was drunk. So we arranged for people to pull him off the crowd and send him away. He came back. I don't know whether he changed clothes, but he came and sat in the front row. And as he sat there, I preached, and you know, we do altar calls in, in Africa, in Zambia, and, and people began to respond to the gospel. And then he came, Pastor, I came back. I know you chased me, but I've come back. I want this Jesus, you know. I have a problem. And as we took him aside to pray for him, this young man was bewitched. So one day he goes home, he finds a meal on the table, and it was so well prepared, he ate it like mad. But from that day on, according to him, every morning he woke up, he found money just next to himself. The same amount every day. But there is a condition to that amount. Every day he had to go and find cannabis and smoke, and he had to carry his friends to go and drink. And that was the mission over his life. Strange money around him, but to lead him into captivity. And we prayed, and the Lord set him free. Something we rarely see at Fairview, but it happened in Kaputa. Why? Because God was concerned for those people there and for that young man. And missions actually benefits you more than it benefits them. It is you God changes more as you learn to love more, to care more, and just to bless more. It is you God wants to grow, and yet he wants to save them. So we see in the New Testament uh, the Great Commission, and, and you can read about the other verses. This is the heart of Christ, that the gospel goes to other nations. And you see that lived out in the early church. This became the focus of the, uh, the early church. They focused their attention on the nations. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says they began to speak what? In what? Other languages. The word used there is not glossolalia, which is those unintelligible tongues of 1 Corinthians. In Acts, they were actually languages. Because if you read further, the Bible says those who were present said, how come we each hear them in our own language? Of course, two miracles. It could have been a miracle of speech or a miracle of hearing. But what was God doing? The connection. He was making the connection to other nations. Again, God took responsibility. And from Pentecost, nations have come face to face with the gospel, 
whether in English, in Bemba, in Nyanja, in Spanish, whatever language, the gospel is moving forward. I was telling Mario, I said, if only I had two weeks with you, I would perhaps get in some Spanish. I love languages. But you see, God has done great things because you can still speak in your language and someone will interpret. I remember in the place I talked about in the Western province, there was a grandmother that we reached out to. And you know, to speak the gospel to her, there were three of us on this side. So one spoke English, and the lousy man understood English, and he could speak in Koya, so he translated from Lozi then to Nkoya, and then this Nkoya person could understand Lozi and Nkoya and Mbunda, and then translated Mbunda to this lady, and she accepted Christ. Four people in a row, but for one soul. That was a great experience for me. A sign that God wants people to be saved. In Acts chapter 8, Philip does what Christ did again. To the Samaritans, he shares the gospel and they are saved. The Holy Spirit leads him on the road leading south. And he finds this Ethiopian and he shares the gospel and he is saved. And he goes celebrating the salvation of God. The gospel begins to enter Africa, even through that Ethiopian we see Peter in Acts chapter 10, a guy who struggled so much to accept the Gentiles. Yet God brings this curtain before him and brings all unclean things to him and he says, eat. And he says, I cannot eat unclean things. God says what? You do not call unclean what I have sanctified. Do not label any people group simply because you want to remain correct with a tradition. I have sanctified them. And as you go reaching out to them, I will make them more like you are. That is what you see. And so Cornelius and his household are saved. And in Acts chapter 13, you see the Holy Spirit speaking to the church at Antioch, set for me Paul and Barnabas aside for the work to which I have called them. And you know, like Pastor John said, Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus was very clear. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. And then the end will come. There's a caveat there until the last people group. Now, Jesus is not saying everyone will be saved, but he is saying until every people group gets an opportunity to hear the gospel, the end shall come. The end will not come, rather, until every people group has that opportunity. And of course, in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation 5, verse 9, perhaps we could read that as our last, and then I begin to, to, to make the conclusions quickly. Yes. Praise the Lord. He is worthy to redeem peoples from all people groups, right? 
Revelation 7 verse 9, could we read that as well? You, you begin to see the book of Revelation always pronouncing this, that on the heaven side of story, the story, what people groups are there? Oh, what languages are there? Oh, what nations are there? Oh, that's the end of the story. The end of the story will be that mission will have accomplished this beautiful gathering of God's people from all ages, from one generation to another, all nations, all languages, all tribes, under one God. And I like what is said in Revelation 21 about the city of God, the new Jerusalem. It says, you know, all the nations will bring their glory into the city of God. And God will be all in all. That is where we are going. But if we do not move at his pace, we delay the sweetness of this glory that God has in mind. Because scripture is very clear. His heart is for the nations. Let me skip C, I'll come back to it. Let's go to a quick historical note. Have you ever wondered how the gospel came to the Americas? You Americans, you should know the, the history. Because there's such an expanse between Europe and the US. The gospel still came how the gospel came to our part of Africa. Why? Because between the north, Ethiopia and Egypt and all those places, there is quite some heat in the equator. Thick rainforests, rift valleys, that could make it difficult for those in the south to connect. The point I'm making quickly, even in history, God has orchestrated circumstances that have opened doors for the gospel to new people groups. In my country, it's a Scottish explorer, David Livingstone, who came in the 19th century, thereabout, and opened up our country. And as he opened up our area, Mission agencies began to come to Zambia and to Malawi and to Zimbabwe and all those countries around. We would safely say in Zambia we call ourselves a Christian nation. Again, God orchestrated the coming of the gospel into our land because his heart is for the nations. And the same was true 
for the Americas and every people group. And there is no people group right now. If, if you go to a pray for the world, they will tell you that the most hostile place against the gospel is somewhere around Pakistan. But even there, it is a matter of time. The gospel will penetrate that area. Let me just conclude uh, with C and then quickly run on to the other stuff. Why is this knowledge that God's heart is for the nations so very important for you and I? Why is it important that we know these truths? It glorifies God. If you have a blank there, number one, it glorifies God to have people worshiping all throughout the world, all throughout the whole world wideness of recognition. Let me say, wideness of recognition is really the issue. God wants from every tribe to be glorified. Secondly, he wants all people to come to repentance because all people deserve a chance to be saved. Thirdly, I've talked about the beauty and power of this multi-ethnicity. In our church, that is what God is doing. I told you now we have a Scottish family, we have um, a, Philippine, a Filipino guy, we have Indians in our church, we now have Chinese, we have people from Kenya, uh, Zimbabwe, and, and all the surrounding countries. And, First, it was like, okay, how will we speak their language? But God is just doing it. So this Chinese lady has to interpret for her husband who doesn't speak English, but they come together in church. Why? Because God will never settle for less. It's just a beautiful thing to see that people of all places Respond Now, I said you are equally having many people come into your country, come into your city. God is bringing you in contact with the nations. Would you consider engaging with them? Open your doors. And I know your doors are open, but sometimes people feel, okay, will I be safe here? Assure them it is well, and they can come in and be a part of Brookside Church and be at home at Brookside Church. And believe me, as you become that church that considers even receiving different people groups, the Lord will bless your ministry even bigger and better than it is. You are doing a great job, and I must commend you going into other nations. And we are being blessed by you because of your ministry. I could not even teach this course had it not been for your help and support. So you are doing a great job. But my call is continue to do this more and more. So how should we respond? Number one, get personally involved in God's business. If, if God's heart for the missions is the main thing, get involved if you want to see God at work. Get personally involved, how? Value the nations. Pray for missions. Send people. Read about it. Volunteer to go. And the Lord will use you. 
But as a church, I encourage you again, work toward this multi-ethnic church. It's a sweet thing. We're beginning to experience it. And I know you will love it when you can love a person of a different shade and you call them brother. And some of my, my brothers here will say, you call me brother? That's big. And they'll begin to cry. You know what I'm talking about. But this is possible with the gospel of Christ. You're also having a lot of international students coming. I invite you to reach those international students. That's the next blank there. Reach international students right here in Omaha because the nations are coming to you. Take advantage of what God is doing and keep up the great work and the Lord will bless you. The Lord bless you and I hope that the few things I've shared with you will steer your heart and will provoke you to read more and perhaps prepare more for greater things to come. Thank you.